to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast producer of the month is Steve Corey. Thank you, Steve. Be just like Steve and get rewarded for supporting our podcast. Head over to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried. Go to patreon.com slash Gilbert Gottfried. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Gilbert Gottfried. As always, thank you for your generosity. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. It's not every day that you get to speak to a genuine showbiz legend, but our guest this week is more than qualifies. He's a writer producer, and director who's created hundreds of hours of memorable television series and specials working with talent like Judy Garland, Doris Day, Jackie Gleason, Red Fox, Shirley Temple, (laughs) Sammy Davis Jr., Jonathan Winters, Ray Charles, Jerry Lewis, Richard Pryor, and Frank Sinatra, just to name (laughs) a a few. He's produced the first five Grammy telecast AFI tributes to Harrison Ford and Dustin Hoffman and created the American Comedy Awards for five seasons. He, He served as executive producer of one of the groundbreaking shows in the history of network television. Rowan and Martin's laughing. Please welcome a television icon, a five-time Emmy winner, and the only man to work with both President Ford and Nipsey Russell. Our friend George Slaughter. George. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, yeah. Who was found dead in his Los Angeles home this <laughs> afternoon? <laughs> uh, uh, nobody, when I met you, nobody ever thought we would die of natural causes, but now it looks like one of us might make it. <laughs> Oh, God, that was the most, that was the longest. Well, I knew I was nervous. I was nervous when I said I would do this. Now I'm terrified. Thanks no, for doing it, George. Gilbert, I knew it was a mistake. I mean, you are, you are funnier, faster, and louder than I can ever be, and I, I won't be able to deal with you, but I'll try. <laughs> Thanks for doing the show, George. We appreciate well, it. Well, wait, wait. You don't know how it's going to go yet. <laughs> The last guy to thank me for doing the show was canceled. Gilbert, how are you, my darling? Hi, how are you? I'm better talking to you. Yes. Frank tells me you're a fan of mine. I am a huge fan of yours. I I, I may be lonely, but I am devoted. (laughs) It's a a small, loyal group. Frank, Frank, you know, when I first met him, we did the first American Comedy Awards, right? Yes. And Army Archie was going to be in front of the Palladium introducing the show and explaining it. So, because Army was a revered columnist in Hollywood, Hollywood variety. Sure. We had Gilbert go out, and as Army was explaining the show, Gilbert was explaining the show to Army. Now, you can imagine what that was, because Army didn't know what to expect. <laughs> it was hysterical. So, Gilbert and I have been enemies ever since. I, what I remember about that with Army Archer. He was yeah. like a typical straight entertainment reporter. Oh. Oh, yeah. and, and I just 
took over and had started improvising, and I wouldn't even let him speak. I just, like, started talking, anything that popped into my head. And afterwards, people were saying how funny it was, and Army Archid was bragging, see, people don't know how funny I can be. (laughs) Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And, And Army just stood there in shock. (laughs) <laughs> because this was, this was, what, 25, 30 years ago or something, you know, and, and uh, you weren't as well known then as you are now, so Army didn't know what to expect. It was hysterical. And but we've had a few adventures since then, you know? I remember uh, one yeah. of the comedy awards you had me on. I had to, like, when they called out my name, they put a, a knee bands on me like uh knee pads knee pads they put knee pads on me and in over my tuxedo and i had to crawl on all fours underneath the stage and sneak into the podium that would have me inside it that would that's right yeah and And you came up out of the floor yes I, c- I couldn't crawl like that nowadays. No. <laughs> well, it was 30 years ago. You've crawled enough since then. Yeah, I've but- had more laughs with this guy, Frank. I mean, I really have. I'm a, I am a big, big fan. Me too. Me too, George. I'm still trying to recover from some of the material he does on the roast. Because <laughs> I'm George people, you know what I mean? But here's what happened. (laughs) One at the last comedy awards I did, uh, they gave me this thing to say about it was a whole bit about wearing red ribbons. That's when Hollywood was at its most obnoxious and embarrassing stage of, look, we're going to cure AIDS through us wearing red ribbons. That's right. And, And I did it. And it bombed and i didn't write it or anything it just bombed and i and no one they never had me back after that i think we were canceled after that because of that you've gotten me in more trouble more times and uh, uh, but, I, but I, I loved it you know but I will tell you when they said when I said I was going to do this, and I said yes, then I hung up and I said, "What did I do?" I mean, I know, you know, you, you are you are a daunting uh, experience, Gilbert. <laughs> you know, that you, you that really he is. <laughs> and uh, uh, but I've gotten in trouble uh, uh, every time I do an interview. I get in trouble. I did one with Neil Cavuto, <clears throat> and he asked me. He asked me about the Janet Jackson wardrobe incident. You remember when the thing fell? Oh, oh absolutely. Sure, sure. And, uh, and, uh, wardrobe said, malfunction. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, wardrobe malfunction. And I said, thereby having made Janet Jackson's right breast the most famous boob on television since Rush Limbaugh. Well, <laughs> there we go. And he said, George, why did you do that? <laughs> so, I, I gotta be, I'm more careful with you because you're dangerous. Now, I'm going to jump up ahead in your career, but as far as getting into trouble, you you followed laughing with another show that you wanted to be edgier. Tell us about that one. Well, uh, (laughs) laughing was a huge hit, and I'm arrogant now, but if you can imagine me with the 50 share, I was really elegant, arrogant, so I said... We're going to do something that really is progressive. And we sold the show for 13 and then when they saw the pilot, they upped it to 18 It was a real adventure. It pushed the envelope in every direction that it could be. And uh, uh, the guy in uh, Cleveland wanted to keep Peyton Place. So he called ABC, wanted to keep Peyton Place. And he was some brain-dead station owner that uh, then called all the affiliates and said, when this thing comes on the air, let's just cancel it. So they started canceling the show when it went on the air. And it was on for it was on for fifteen minutes, the shortest series ever on, ever on television. <laughs> and by the time it got to California, it had already been canceled. <laughs> Nobody had seen it. And uh, it was, Tim Conway was hosting it. Yeah. And uh, it was it was 
but it still remains today one of the funniest things that anybody ever did because it, it was all synthesized sound. There was no audience. It was all sound effects, and it was you know computers, and it was great. A show called Turn. A show called Turn On. We didn't even say we, Turn On. Oh, Turn On. We didn't yes. say the title. We had Chuck and, McCann on the show, uh, George, and he told us he's still not recovered. <laughs> Well, he, 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 he's got a lot to recover from, Chuck. <laughs> and I heard Tim Conway said in an interview that they were waiting. They were going to have their big opening party That's right. for Turn On. And, yep. and it never aired, so it was their opening and farewell party at the That's same right. time. Conway always tells that story, the little cocker. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he always tells that, and I adore him. You know, he, you and he are two of my favorite people. And why I do not know. But he told You're a suspect, suspect's judge of character, George. Did Chuck told us there was a, was there a sketch with a nun uh, uh, on her oh hands God. and knees taking? Chuck's got a big mouth. It was, it was, a, uh, it was a well, it was a vending machine, right? And in the vending machine, you saw the thing that said the so-and-so-so, and then it had the pill. And a nun came out and put a quarter in the vending machine, and the pill didn't come out, and she went crazy, pounding on the machine, trying to get that pill, you know? This was in the <laughs> early days of birth control. Wow. And why, I do not know. Uh, I don't still, but it was funny. It was really, really funny. And uh, But Conway, Conway still, Conway, all he has to do is look at me, and I'm just up on the floor, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So, so now, Gilbert, what, what are you doing? You're doing this thing, uh, uh, how often? Every night or every week or what? Uh, every week. Once a week. <clears throat> and then you, you're getting paid for this? Uh, not, not enough to make it worth my while. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets to meet all his showbiz heroes, George. Uh, well, now, we had, wait, I saw you had uh, Chevy Chase. We did. You had Chuck McCann. Yeah. Trust me, Gilbert, you can do better than this. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you had a husband and it never was. You've got to think up, up, up. I mean, come on, Gilbert. You're a star. I mean, go get Soupy Sales for crying. You don't have to settle for this Soupy. guy, Chevy Chase. I think we lost Soupy. <laughs> Herky <laughs> Styles you can get. How much to the roast you did on, on Roseanne? I mean, you know, Roseanne. Oh, well, you, you, the things you said to that woman. Oh, enough. My my favorite though was was uh, wait a minute, now Donald Trump, and you said uh, something about uh, Trigger's tail and Trump's hair. What do they have alike? Both of them sit on top of an asshole. It was something like that about Trump. But it was just wonderful. I almost fell off the chair. I said, there's a tax rap. If Trump ever wins the election, you know, you'll never settle that rap. <laughs> Tell him the joke you did about Cloris Leachman at the, uh, at the roast. No. Oh. About, about, her, about her breasts. Oh, I said. I know. Yeah, he knows it. You, you know it? No, go ahead. Oh. Go ahead. Defend the uh, audience. <laughs> what audience? <laughs> that, I, I, I said on one of the roasts, Cloris Leachman was there, and I said, Cloris Leachman is so old, her breasts have signs that say, uh, whites and colored only. <laughs> yeah. well, that, that, that pretty much could offend everyone, I think. You know, I, uh, uh, oh, and I saw the one you did with uh, Lisa Lampley. Oh, Lisa Lampanelli. Oh, I, I said... Lampanelli? Yeah. 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 She's I, got a mouth that flushes. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, yeah, on that, because she's uh, into black guys. Right. So I said... <laughs> yes, famously. Why, why, would God, why would any black person want to get inside anything the size of a slave ship? <laughs> I, I saw the show. I saw the show. I, I, I mean, it was unforgivable. She is, you know, she's she seriously got a, a mouth problem, you know. But you, you're tasteful compared to some of those people. Yeah, yeah I, I try to avoid that type of... <laughs> yeah, I gotta be in the room. Tasteless material. George, let's talk about some of the old days. 
I mean, let's Jesus. let's go. Let's go. Jesus, I am the old day. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what do you want to talk about? Well, let's not let's not mention Trixie. Go ahead. Trixie. I just I want to talk about when you were a kid. You sang in the opera, which I didn't know about you. Yeah, St. Louis Municipal Opera. Mm-hmm. Can and, you uh, sing any for us now? Now? Yes. Only uh, only only during a rectal exam, and I get notes you never heard before. <laughs> Popular, George. We were just named the best podcast of the year by the Village Voice. So, how many people voted? <laughs> N- nine. <laughs> nine. That's all right. Well, Gilbert's always Gilbert's been one of my favorites, and I know one of his. And he, uh, he is he is just he is just the, the best. He, you know, he, he is. Uh, He's a genius. Uh, and I, I'll tell you this: I was very nervous about doing this thing. <laughs> Well, because I always say something, uh, uh, what was it, I met Bill O'Reilly, and he said, you're George Slaughter, he said, I used to be, a, I used to laugh at your show, and I said, you're Bill O'Reilly, I still laugh at yours, now that meeting ended nice. right away, so this is going better than a lot of, sometimes, you know? I'll, I'll tell you who we had on the show, George, we had Shecky on. Oh, uh, but Shecky, great, Shecky is a very, very funny guy, and, he is, uh, you know, but he, he, you know, he's an animal, he can bench press a jeep, this guy, so don't fool around with him. You know? Well, I was at some show, I, and yeah. it was at the Friars Club, and yeah. I went on, and I was surprised was talking, doing some dirty stuff. You? And, and yeah, surprisingly, and and I found out that Shecky, who was supposed to follow me, walked out, and he was screaming at them, saying, yeah. "I'm not following that," and he was threatening to punch. Uh, Freddie Roman and well, that's not a bad idea. And Stewie Stone. Punching Freddie's not a bad. What happened with you and Shecky? So, so he and then he was going on radio shows saying, you know, I never heard language like that, and I was in the Navy, and I'm not following. <laughs> on, on which side? <laughs> <laughs> Shecky, Shecky Green Shecky Green is a famous story how Frank Sinatra saved his life did you hear this? oh yeah tell us oh yeah. yeah he had said something bad about Frank Sinatra and a bunch of guys met him in the alley and they were beating up on him and Frank walked over and said that's enough <laughs> so he, he saved his life uh, but Shecky's a funny guy you he know? truly is oh he's definitely funny but he, he's got a reputation of being yes. more than slightly out of his mind Yes. <laughs> well, they, don't, they don't put you on the cover of the Mental Health Monthly, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, the psychiatrists of America don't point to you with pride, you know. I mean, I mean when I met you, there was a chance you were going to wind up in Silly City in a rubber room wearing a canvas coat. So don't lie, knock Shelly for being a little off-center. You don't smoke or drink or anything, do you? He doesn't. No. no. He has a glass the of wine every I, now and then. The only thing about you I don't like. <laughs> he, ha- he has a little vino every now and then, George. But very oh, little. Really? No, I yeah, I don't get drunk. Very or rarely. Dean said about not drinking. The bad thing about not drinking is every day when you get up, that's as good as you're going to feel all day. <laughs> Dean had some of the great drunk jokes ever. Well, we're going to ask. Dean didn't drink as much as Frank. Frank drank more than Dean. Tell us. Yeah. I heard that uh, uh, one time. Uh, uh, Joey Bishop took oh, yeah. a sip out of uh, Dean Martin's glass of scotch, and yeah. it turned out to be apple juice. Yeah, oh yeah, Dean didn't drink that much. Frank drank a lot more than Dean. You know, I mean, uh, Frank Frank would Frank would hit the bottle pretty good, but Dean Dean uh, Dean had the reputation for drinking. In the old 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 days, he drank a lot, but in the beginning, then he drank apple juice. That's it. Well, since you one bring night, one night, I was working with Dean, it was uh, Martin and Lewis, and Jerry got sick and didn't show up. 
And so Dean came out on stage, sang eight bars of Bye Bye of Blackbird, Bye Bye Blackbird, right? Took a bow, hit his head on the microphone, and fell down. He got up and took a bow and fell down again. He did nothing but falls for 15 minutes. He sang eight bars and did 15 minutes of falls. He was one of the funniest people you ever met in your life. He was much funnier than Jerry, actually, many times. <laughs> oh yeah, people say that. And you work with yeah. Jerry. You work with Jerry too. Yes, yes, yeah. I had great fun with Jerry. <laughs> Anyhow, I mean, see, the, the thing is, that they they take time to tell those stories. You don't have time for that because otherwise uh, you won't invite me back. No, we How got. I work that out. We got time. Oh, we have. No, we definitely have time. I was promised that there was a Mrs. Gottfried that was going to place this call. Now here <laughs> I am with two closet queens and, and, and no Mrs. Gottfried. <laughs> come on, I was promised. <laughs> Oh, come on, she's, she's sitting right here, George. So, is she there? Yes. She's right next to me. I, I think, oh, wait so, a minute. I think best I may be chatting. <laughs> we should have fellowship. So, you, do know, you do know what you're into, don't you, my darling? Sweet, sweet woman. Jeez, nobody deserves that. Let me ask you do, do yeah. you have, do you have any children? Uh, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a boy, a girl, or something else? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what? What do you have? I, I have. What? I have a little boy and a little girl. Do they know what you do for a living? <laughs> do I don't know what you do. For I a barely living? know. <laughs> Tell well, t- Mrs. Mrs. Gottfried must be a wonderful person. She is. She's a saint, George. She must be a saint. She must be a patient person. Chances are she's church people. Tell <laughs> tell tell uh, tell George what the what the teachers what Max said to oh, the teacher. My son, when he was like about three years old, he was in yeah. preschool, and we went to visit the teacher, and the teacher said, "Well, he doesn't pay attention in class, yeah. Yeah. and he's always trying to be funny," <laughs> and yeah. so I couldn't reprimand him on that. And then she said to him once, she said, uh, where did you learn how to be funny? And he goes, from my daddy. And she goes, uh, oh, your daddy's funny? And he goes, he's funny at home, not at work. Oh, is that wonderful? Is that one? Oh, is it two and a half? Yeah, yeah. He was give, me, give me a number. That kid's got his own show. He's a... But now, see, this is a, 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 you just have the one? The what? He's got a boy and a girl. No, a boy and a girl. How old is a girl? Uh, Well, my boy right now is six, and my uh, girl is eight. Okay. That's good. You spread it out pretty good. (laughs) You didn't have any more than that? No. Why, did you find out what was causing it, or what? Did you start to see? What is that? I didn't, know on, about, I didn't know about condoms at the time. Yes. You knew about it. You just didn't know where to put them. You, you, you thought they were shower caps, you silly guy. How did you know? George, George, you want to talk about your career or what? <laughs> no, I want to talk oh. about Gilbert's career. My Tell- career is pretty much, my career is pretty much uh, over, you know. I'm ready for the home. But Gilbert <laughs> is still, well, yeah, he's, having, he's got a six-year-old for crying out loud. I know. It's shocking. He finally figured out what that thing was for. And it's uh, very encouraging. Mrs. <laughs> Gilbert, on the other hand, has got a serious, uh, yeah. she's got some serious work ahead of her. She does. She got issues. Tell us. About, tell, can you tell us about Jerry Lewis? Yeah, tell us about working with Jerry. It was an adventure. Jerry did actually. Well, Jerry, Jerry did everything. You know, I mean, he staged, he directed, he lighted, he did everything in the world, and he was one of the most talented people in the world. He uh, 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 he was he was a piece of work. It was fun to work with. Dean actually was more fun because Dean. Jerry had to be out in front. Dean was a counterpuncher. You'd say something, then Dean would come up with a topper, you know. But uh, when they were together, did you ever see that act on television or anything, Gilbert? Uh, I've seen bits and pieces. Oh, if you can't Google it, get on and see what they did. They 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 did so much business in the Copacabana, which at that point was run by some galones, you know. And they were so, so many. They were so packed that they couldn't work. They had they worked in the band. 
This is the whole act from up inside the I, van with a saxophone. I heard Martin and Lewis. It was like an experience yes. just to witness them. Like, oh, yeah. there was like people left there. They were dazed by what they had just seen. And you never knew what was going to happen for sure, you know. And it, it worked. It was, it was magic. It really was magic. And what and, do you uh, do you think Jerry and Dean ever got along? Yeah, they were brothers until then one day. Uh, Jerry did uh, the whole act. Jerry staged everything. He said, we'll do this. We'll take this movie. We'll do this sketch. We'll sing that song. And then one day, Dean said, I don't think so. And he went, what? He said, I don't think so. And Jerry says, wait a minute. We've been looking like this for years. What do you mean you don't think so? Dean says, that's not what I want. I'm not going to do that. Jerry said, well, if I can't, if we're going to change it now, then we ought to probably split up. And Dean said, that's it. And that was the end of the act. That was the way they broke up. Wow. Uh, but Jerry, Jerry... Jerry was, a, was something to handle because he staged it, he choreographed it, he lit it. He, uh, he uh, He's the, the ultimate technician as far as uh, comedy and as far as show business is concerned. And you, you actually produced... He's a counterpuncher, you know. You produced one of the telethons with Jerry, George? Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> uh, well, it was... Uh, what happened was... I, uh, they told me they wanted to do the, the, uh, the, the anniversary telethon. And I said, well, why? They said, well, he'll do anything you say. I said, no, guys, this is a trap. It's not going to happen. No, no, no. They said, look, Jerry said he wants you to do the show. Anything you want him to do, that's what he'll do. So I sit down with Jerry, and I said, Jerry, I think these people are trying to get rid of you, and they're going to put you in a cage with me, and we're going to eat each other up. And, and uh, So I said, I don't want to do that. Jerry said, no, I mean it. I'll do anything you say. So, okay. So he's perfect. I mean, up until we got on stage, everything was absolute. What do you want? I'll do it. What do you say? What do you say? So we get on stage, and now he uh, I, he starts to turn into the animal, you know. I want to do this. I don't want to do that. Wait a minute. Where's the light? Where's the stand? Whatever. And so I walked over, and I took his hand, and I put it right on my lap. And he went, what, 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 what is that? What are you doing? I said, I just thought if you were going to act like one, you ought to feel what one feels like. So, so now everybody in the building ran and hid, you know. And, uh, and so, Jimmy went, oh, so now we, that's what we did for the rest of the whole, all night long. I, I, he said he wanted to make a, he said he had to go to the bathroom, so I threw a trash barrel out, you know, and I did stuff to him all night long, and it was great. I had a delightful time with him, and, uh, I didn't do the next one, but I did that one. Interesting. I still talk to him. He's a good guy. So now, what's next? Listen, once you recover from this interview, what is next in your career? <laughs> After this, it's in- not over, Gilbert. You can recover from this. <laughs> I'm going to call Mrs. Gilbert tomorrow and explain our relationship. You know, I'll leave out the kissing and all that, but I'll explain to her where it happened. You know? After this interview, I'll be doing dinner theater or something. No, you won't. You're doing dinner theater as a waiter. <laughs> George, we're going to wind up jumping all over the place here, but tell Gilbert the, the, the Red Fox story that you told me in D.C. Red Fox, uh, I did the only the first time Red Fox ever got on uh, television. They wouldn't let him on. I said, look, I'll edit it. Let him just come on and do what he does. And he came on with Slappy White and interviewed Slappy as the world's for the first American, African-American vice president. And he interviewed him. Imagine now this is a long time ago, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and he said... Uh, why, why, why are you only, uh, why are you only hiring black people? He said, "Ain't no white people owe me money." You know, I mean, it was just all of that. It was great. But Red was Red owned, Red owned a club where we used to be the Slate Brothers, and he was up there, and he was fine. Red Fox on stage made Gilbert Gottfried sound like the Pope. I mean, it was just, it was just. I mean, you couldn't believe it. he invented new four-letter words, you know. And uh, uh, so when he, he was up on stage, he was doing his act, and there was a guy sitting in the audience that kept interrupting him and doing the jokes. When Red would do a joke, he'd top it. And Red would uh, uh, do a setup, and the guy would do the punchline. And Red kept getting madder and madder, but the audience was hysterical. It was really, really funny, you know. 
when Red got off, so he came down, stood there at the table with the guy, looked down and said, hey, man, you are one funny dude. God, ah, you are a funny dude. Everything I said, you said something funnier than what I said. You are one funny dude. And the guy's looking up at him and finally said, hey, wait a minute, man. You're peeing on my table. <laughs> Red stood there peeing on the guy's table. Then had the guy thrown out into the traffic, you know. But Red, Red was a tough guy. He was... Uh, Hey. Anyhow, I had, I had great laughs with him. Gilbert, I want to know. I, listen, I want to know more about you. What are you doing? This thing you do once a week, right? Yes. And you do Mrs. Gilbert maybe twice a week. <laughs> and you do Frank once a little bit once in a while. At least. Just yeah. to keep the swelling down. Well, what else is going on? We're being roasted on our own show, Gil. <laughs> what? I said we're being roasted on our own show. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. You've seen roasts that had the uh, you know the untelevised roasts with like Jack Benny and George yeah. Burns, Groucho Marx. Yes. What do you remember of those? Oh, they were they were well. I can't tell you about the first roast I saw with Jack Benny, but it was just unbelievable. He was on at the very end, and uh, and he stood there and he said, "Well, you know," and, <laughs> but everybody was hysterical because everything had been said and everything had been done. And he then said, "Well," he said, "the only two words left for me that haven't been used so far this evening." And then he let fly with with two biggies, right? Yeah. And the audience just gasped. I said, "It was Jack Benny, for God's sake!" But, uh, everybody, everybody, the roasts, the roasts were fun. But the roasts, by 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 today's standards, the roasts were church choir. You know, it was a sermonette. I mean, uh, Sarah Silverman alone, you know, but, uh, and Gilbert, Gilbert had dropped a few F-bombs in the ones that I've seen. <laughs> you know, what you guys said about B. Arthur, please, now come on. <laughs> well, you know, she doesn't have one. <laughs> well, that was Jeff Ross. <laughs> can't, can't pin that one on Gil. <laughs> well, Jeff Ross, Jeff Ross. What's he, is he still alive? Yeah, yeah, he's still, we had him <laughs> on the show. <laughs> Oh, when before the show ends, how did laughing come about? An accident. <laughs> it was an accident. It was an accident. They, they promised if I did one more uh, Grammy Awards that uh, they would let me do one show my way with no questions and no interference. And so, and I did. So I got this group of people who I'd seen over the time, and uh, we went in and just started taping. And we taped a huge amount of material. And anybody I saw, I liked them, and I hired them. I mean, Goldie and Lily and all of them, and I hired them. And, and uh, Flip Wilson was in the first six shows, and we just did, and we played. We came on stage, and we had a script, but then we would play, and anything that worked, we would do it again. And then eventually, a woman by the name of Carolyn Raskin, who was a genius, cut away everything that wasn't laughing. And uh, the network... The network was very nervous about it and scared of putting it on the air. And I said, why? They said, well, this doesn't make sense. I said, right. And uh, they said, well, what kind of television is this? I said, the newest thing on the continent, they call it Comedy Verte. And the network said, Comedy Verte? What is that? I said, see, that's what it is. You, I just made it up you were just bu- You were just bullshitting in a meeting and telling yeah, them. I was just in a meeting. I right. said, they call it Comedy Verte. And I said, it's the biggest thing in, our, in Europe. He said, hey, Erwin, did you hear about comedy? Yeah, it's bigger than yours. He didn't know what the hell it was. And, uh, uh, and so they, they didn't have anything else to put on the air. And uh, Rowan and Martin were splitting up because it wasn't going that well. And uh, they came on and did the show. And then they went to, they went to Reno. <clears throat> Took a job so they didn't have to be in town when it aired because nobody thought it was going to work. It was just, at that point, imagine now 50 years ago, it was pretty far out, you know. But... Uh, and we put sensors in the home, and they they were tearing their hair out. But it was an accident. I mean, it was just something that was... And they put it on Opposite Lucy, which was the number one show, because they had to put it on there. They had to put something in there, and they didn't have anything else that could go on the air. So we put that on, and by the fourth show, Sammy Davis came on and did Here Come the Judge. Oh, yeah. we got to ask the you morning about... After, the morning after he did come to Here Come the Judge, when the Supreme Court Justice had walked into the chambers... Somebody in the back of the room said, here comes the judge. And the whole courtroom cracked up. And uh, the only laugh they ever got in the Supreme Court. But then it it took off, and then it was just too hot. I remember uh, 
back then when, you know, homosexuality wasn't really discussed on TV, Alan Seuss sang a song called You Don't Have to Be Happy to Be Gay. That's right. That's right. Alan Seuss, who I love, but he was no Viking. Uh, and he would, but we didn't do, we didn't do gay jokes. We just did, you know, that flamboyance, you know? And, uh, uh, yeah, but Alan Seuss was, Alan Seuss was, uh, he was hysterical. God, he was funny. Funny man. He was just, and, and they, they had him, they said, uh, they, they were in a Western sketch. And they said, I'll have, have a bourbon, I'll have a bourbon. And Alan came in and said, I'll have a frozen daiquiri. Well, <laughs> you, know, you didn't have to say gay, you just uh, did that performance. And but, you, uh, today, today, you know, boy, I don't know. I, see, I just wonder where it's going to go. Have we taken the edge off? Is it possible to be funny now without the F-bomb, without all of that stuff? I think it is. Uh, we never did on laughing. We would we, we we talked a lot about the Farkle family. Look that up in your Funkin' wagon. Oh, the Farkle and, uh, family. He gave the fickle flying finger of fate. So we used a lot of F's, but we yeah. didn't put them together that way. You know? where, where did the fickle so, finger of fate come from, George? There was George? always the threat that we were going to do something. Where, where did the fickle finger of fate originate? Where, 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 did, I, where did that idea it come was, from? It was something the censors cut. And uh, they said we couldn't do it, and so I said, well, they should get an award for that. And uh, uh, so we said, well, let's give them an award, and the flying fickle finger of fate, the friendly flying fickle <laughs> finger of fate. I remember and it well. I made a little statue, but we had to put wings on the statue so they didn't confuse which digit it was, you know. And uh, we, we were, when we were on the air, we were on the air about three weeks, and we were canceled in Seattle. The guy said, we're not going to put up with this. So the network said, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, I'm going to Seattle and do a tribute to that station. So uh, they said, what? I said, <laughs> so uh, they were, the guys were on the plane, and the station said, no, 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 forget it. We're going to put it back on the air. The idea of us doing a tribute to them for having the good taste to cancel that trash. And uh, from then on, nobody ever threatened to cancel it. Mm-hmm. What, what I remember is Dan Rowan always yeah. reminded me uh, he he was definitely influenced by Dean Martin oh sure yeah he and, would have and, the cigarette and the drink and his whole cadence was Dean oh, Martin yeah, it was it was and Dan Dan uh, well the two of them the two of them did one of the funniest nightclub acts you've ever seen you know that drunk heckler they did was great but they never talked off stage they never talked from the time they would finish the act they would walk off stage. They never talked to each other again until they walked out on stage for the next gig. They just—they did not get along that well. Interesting. You know, why did you happen? But, why did you happen to pick them to host the show, George? Because didn't because t- the network. The network at that point, the idea of hosting, the idea of having a variety show without a Dean Martin or a Dinah Shore or a Judy Garland or somebody. Just they said, well, who's going to introduce things? So we we went to uh, Ron and Martin and Timex would accept them. But they had just done a summer show. There was, there was a very funny nightclub act, very funny nightclub act. But they were not like stars, you know. And so we put them on, and they were in tuxedos, and they were older than the red than the rest of the cast of wackos, and they were kind of straight. Dan was straight, and uh, Dick was brain dead, you know. So they they uh, <laughs> that worked in the comedy. The crazy worked around them, and it worked. And they they were so then we would do we would do. When they were on stage, they would do improvisation, and they would do charades and whatever, right? And they would talk endlessly. And so we had to find some way to get it cut, because that's what they did. So that's when I, I was in the men's room. And Gary Owens came into the men's room and said, "Bye, the acoustics in here. I said, whoa, that's good. Gary, say later that same evening. He said, bye. I said, just say it. So I said, put your thumb in your ear and say, meanwhile, back at the farm, and uh, I said, that's what I want you to do. I want you to be the announcer so we could cut to Gary. And he would say later that same evening, and we could go cut out all the junk, and they'd have Roland Martin pick it up and say, let's go to the party. Yeah, for people who don't re- remember it, yeah, it's like Gary Owens was that real classic old-time announcer. Sure, he did that's a lot right. of voiceover work, yeah. too. And he put his oh, hand yeah. against yeah. his ear, and it was the most exaggerated, like, and in beautiful downtown Burbank. <laughs> he was great. He was, he was great. We just lost him. And Gary, because Gary, Gary had a day job, and nobody else was working. Gary had a day job, so he would do all of his stuff early in the morning before anybody got there so he could still get to the radio station. 
So he was apart from the rest of the cast. But that was another accident that just worked for us, you know. And uh, uh, Artie Johnson was selling suits at Carol's, and Goldie uh, had been a go-go dancer, and Judy Kahn had been married to Burt Reynolds. And uh, now, now Judy Kahn, yeah. she was like funny and cute and sexy oh, yeah, and everything. And then it seemed like after laughing, uh, just her her life kind of fell apart. Right. So what what yeah. happened? Artificial stimulants. I mean, Judy Judy put everything up her nose but her knee, you know, and uh, she just uh, she uh, lost control a little bit. Like, but a lot of them have, you know. There's some on the air now that are right on the edge, you know. That that, that drugs and so forth. See, you look like you're drugged, but you're not. <laughs> You look, you look and sound like you're higher than than the satellites, you know. But you're you're in, you're in control. Uh, the rest of them thought they were straight and they were uh, moonshot, you know. Uh, but uh, I would swear, I thought I really thought when I first met you, I said, oh, "This guy's got something. He's got to have scar marks." I mean, I thought you know, you're really, really in orbit. But, uh, he is. Yes. And I, I became a fan, and now that I know there is a Mrs. Gottfried, I think, well, you know, there is a Jesus, you know. <laughs> I think what? my favorite when I used to watch Laughing was was Artie Johnson. Right. Oh yeah. Oh, so yeah. tell us about Artie. Artie Artie was a brilliant, brilliant uh, actor, and uh, but he he came in and he would he he did all of these characters and. Uh, uh, he, my thrill was to put him with Danny Kaye and to put him with uh, Jonathan Winters, to put him with the, the classic, you know, comedians and uh, see where they they could go. He stood there with Danny Kaye one day and it was just hysterical. Bob Hope one time came out before the show was on the air and he hadn't seen Artie yet. And he came on and he was plugging his own special. And Artie went out there as the German. <laughs> he said, Mr. Hope, every Christmas we waited for you in the bunker, but you never came to... And Hope turned around, and he became the Bob Hope we thought he was. He said, well, you're standing in a foxhole. Uh, what are you smoking? No wonder you're in the airport. Hope did one-liners with Artie, and Artie and Hope stood there for maybe six or seven minutes, trading one-liners unscripted. And uh, and that's what we had, you know, and... Uh, um, Artie was Artie was brilliant. He was brilliant. He did was he good, did, pretty good dancer to a singer? Did he bring all those characters, George, like Tyrone and the and the German? They, they were Tyrone, not written by no, writers. What happened was what happened was we were going so fast that uh, people would miss the laughs, and you had to put something in there to bridge the laughs because we were killing, we were losing a lot of jokes to the laughs. So we took I, I, Tyrone and we put him in that outfit and uh, put him in the men's room. And he was writing graffiti on the wall of the men's room. And he didn't right. have words. Because that would, that would interfere with the next sketch. So he stood there and he, he said, what do I say? I said, you just, you know. And uh, so he would write words and then he would move his hand. And you never knew what the words were. And so finally one day, uh, Ruth Buzzy did that little character. You know, the girl with the hair net? Gladys, yeah. And, uh. So I sent her out to a lot of stuff would just happen on stage. So I sent Artie out and I said, Artie, go. And he sat down next to her and he said, uh, Good afternoon, my dear. And she, and she said, uh, Do you believe in the hereafter? And she said, Yes. He said, Well, you know what I'm hereafter. And she hit him a shot with her purse and decked him, you know. And from there on, they used to say that he was always trying to get to her. Uh, it was always humming, you know, and but uh, do you believe in the hereafter? So I mean that that exploded because then then do you believe in the hereafter took off? And and uh, then I I always remember those sketches. He'd sit down on a bench, yeah, say something really like dirty, and it and, wasn't dirty. Well, well yeah, you well, thought it was he dirty. would hint. Suggestive, yeah, he would hint. Yeah. And especially the way he said it made it yes, sound yes. even dirtier. And that growl. Yeah. You know? And but then she... The, the thing was, Gilbert, the only thing, and this is what bothered me a little bit of what they're doing on television today, there was the promise, there was the threat, there was the possibility that we were going to say something dirty. But we never really did. Yes. You know, the only time when Judy's wig flew off and she was there and she said, I've never been bald before, that kind of <laughs> made, made us because... It was six months before they found out what bald meant, you know. 
George, did did every did everyone you hired bring their own uh, uh, bits? Did did Henry Gibson come with the poems? Did Henry Lily Tomlin came with the poem? Uh-huh. Uh huh. And Lily Goldie was just an adorable little girl. Nobody, nobody ever auditioned. You mm-hmm. know, it's not like now. Nobody auditioned. They would show up. I would hire them, and they would come in and just start working. And uh, uh, Goldie was just so so adorable. But she she had been a go-go dancer. And so she's, uh, I wanted to see her face because she'd turn and look at whoever was talking to her and you wouldn't see the face. So I gave her an introduction of Dan and I said, just do this. And so she looked at it and uh, she screwed it up. It was, oh, I mean, it was just a mess, but it was adorable, right? So I said, we're doing it again. And the director of the schmuck says, cut, cut, cut. I said, never, ever say cut to this woman again. I will kill you. So I said, I oh, will do it again. We'll do it again. So I said to Goldie, I said to Goldie, just look at the cards. And by then, I knew what I wanted her to do was that mistake. And I'd had the cue card boy invert all of the words, so they did not make sense. And Goldie looked at the wrong words and put them in the right order. And I said, no, 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 what are you doing to me? But from then on, Goldie never got to rehearse anything, never. Yeah, because what you look forward to when Goldie was there is how she'd start, like, she'd lose it. She, yeah. She'd mess up the line and then yeah. start giggling like a hyena. Part of the reason for that, Gilbert, was Ruth Buzzy would stand there next to the camera and go, <laughs> and Goldie would hear that, and all Ruth had to do was put her hand up to her mouth, and Goldie would lose it. Because Goldie was trying to do it right, and Ruth would go, Goldie. <laughs> and uh, once, Goldie, once Goldie started to laugh, forget about it, the whole world laughed, you know? Lily worked as a stand-up. Lily worked in clubs and reviews and whatever. But what we did was dress them. You know, we put them in clothes and costumes and their own set. Edith Ann had her own set, and then Ernestine had her own set. And uh, uh, what we did was make the, the what was the voice character into a into a uh, um, you know a real a real person. And uh, uh, so. Goldie, Goldie always played Goldie. No matter whatever happened, it was Goldie. But Lily, Lily would play in one show. She'd do fifteen different characters because we were taping at Stop and Go, you know. Yeah. Oh, and and Joanne Worley. Hey, Joanne, coming, you know, Joanne. All you have to do is say a name. Oh, I mean, she, you know, she was just, she was funny. She was as Goldie, Ruth Buzzy. Caught, brought those characters in, mm-hmm. and uh, Joanne brought characters in, and uh, uh, it was just it was just a wonderful utopian experience. Uh, not not like this because that got on the air. I'm not too sure any of this is ever going to be heard by anybody other than maybe maybe Mrs. Godley was going to say, you know, she's going to say, now Gilbert, see see how it feels to fail. Children, watch your father die. I I remember on on one of the comedy awards where I did a whole bit about deliverance. Yes, and 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 the whole bit was: Did they ever show uh, Ned Beatty page eighty seven? That's right. That's right. That's right. No, no, we had, we had censors running around saying, look at page 87, look at page 87. Because Gilbert, Gilbert still makes them nervous. You know, now you can say, you know, you can say anything, right? But Gilbert still makes them nervous. You, you, they were petrified of you. You know, they, uh, they would say, what's he going to say? And then the other thing, the other thing with Artie, is they never knew what Artie was saying because a lot of it was double talk. And so they, they would send linguists in to figure out what Artie had said. Gilbert, they knew what he said. They just weren't sure what he meant. <laughs> you, you, you know? As, 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 uh, let me ask you, how long have you been married, do you know? <laughs> oh, he doesn't know, huh? George. He has no idea. Uh, uh, almost nine years? He, he had to look almost at his wife nine for the years. answer. Did you have to look at your watch to figure this out? <laughs> nine years? That's poor woman. I had it. I'm serious. I would like a family picture. 20 it's years? On the wall. Sign oh. it with something naughty or rude or just, you know, yours in Christ. Whatever you want to put on Yours there. in Christ. And I want to put it on the wall. Because <laughs> I want people to know that I know you. Da- Dara just wrote on a napkin, George, that they've been together almost 20. So there you go. 
<laughs> yes. This, what, oh. what, it took you that long to figure it out, or what? Connor oh. into it, or what happened? A historic event on Laughing was <laughs> was. I, I just don't want this. No, back. no, I don't answer personal questions. <laughs> <laughs> an, an, an historical event on Laughing yeah. was basically, I think, helping get Richard Nixon. Yeah, I think so. Nominated. I mean, yeah, uh, elected rather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, Paul Keyes was the closest man to Richard Nixon. And uh, we had to do something for the first show of the second season. I said, Paul, why, why, why don't we see if we can get Nixon? And so we went over to CBS where he was doing a press conference. And uh, Paul said, uh, Mr. Nixon, would you just say this, sock it to me? He said, you know the show? He said, yes, yes, I know the show. And then, uh, so he said, sock it to me. You know, Mr. Nixon, no, no, just turn to the camera and smile. Sock it to me. Yes, 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 take two. Right? And held up three fingers, that butt. And uh, <laughs> so then uh, we got six takes and finally got it. He did it. We went back to the... NBC put it on the air, and uh, the network wasn't going to let us do it because of equal time. And I said, there's nobody running for the presidency that wants equal time saying sock it to me except this butt, you know? <laughs> and uh, so he went on the air, and then I realized what I'd done, you know, because we made him into a nice guy, yeah, which he was not. And uh, But uh, I've had to live with that. I, I remember oh. his his rendition of it was... Sock it to me. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Didn't you have now, a... T- when it went on the air, uh, he called the office, and uh, I answered the phone. I said, hello. They said, Paul Keyes. I said, who's calling? They said, the president. I said, yeah, this is Petula Clark. I said, Paul, somebody's on the phone. He said, who? He said, he says the president. So <laughs> Paul got on the phone. He said, it is him. And I went, oh, my God. So he said, well, talk to him. So, you know, you're talking to the president of the United States. And I said, well, Mr. President, I said, uh, congratulations. He said, tell me, is crazy effing George your God-given name, right? Uh-huh. And when they hear the president say that and to call me by the name they used on the stage, right? Because everything was CFG, CFG, CFG. And uh, uh, I wish I'd had a tape on that. It was crazy effing George your God-given name. What a putz. Anyway. Did you, did, didn't you didn't you have a tape? Uh, didn't you keep the tape, George? But you said uh, you said that Paul Keyes stole it. Paul Keyes told the stole the outtakes. Yeah, we had the tape of him saying it, but the six takes that it took us to get it, Paul left with that. The bastard, you know. Uh, but they, 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 he and Bibi Rabosa and all those guys used to go down to the Caribbean in a yacht. There were like five or six guys and no women. Hello. And uh, uh, you, 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 you kind of wondered, you know. Uh, uh, but anyhow, I, I don't think Nixon was gay. I don't think he was anything. He was just, uh, you know. But then, and uh, but we were, you know, what happened? I had a great time. I really enjoyed myself. It was, it was. Uh, we got away with things that nobody ever had done before, and I think it really left a, a mark. And I'm proud of the contribution. Yeah, you know, and I was okay up until Gilbert did the comedy awards. <laughs> <laughs> it's TV history. At which time my career started to just crash. Oh, and tell us about Jack Benny. Well, Benny, Benny, uh, Benny, Benny was hysterical. I mean, Benny was a sweet one, and he wanted, he loved the show, but it was just so fast, you know, that it bothered him. And uh, uh, but he came on the show many times, and he would. Uh, we kept saying, keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving, because he was very slow. Everything was slow. And I'm Mr. Benny, keep it moving, keep it moving. <laughs> 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 keep it moving. Ow, you know, he was, uh, we did that. We had great fun with Phil Silvers. And, with, and Dr. Billy Graham came on the show. And he said, the family that watches laughing together really needs to pray together. <laughs> I remember that. And uh, we, uh, so we had great fun with him. We had great fun with uh, uh, Barry Goldwater. Said America's in a country where any boy can grow up to be president, any boy but me. And uh, uh, yeah, we we got people to do the show that never did variety shows. And Nixon was the first presidential candidate to go on a comedy show. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we didn't know how funny he was until we got into the we war. Sh- we should mention some of the writers, because there were, there were legendary comedy writers on the show, George. And oh, Alan, yeah. Alan oh, yeah. Bly and Chris Beard and, and a, young, a very young Lorne Michaels and Hart Pomerantz. Yeah, and we should mention and, uh, we, we should mention Digby Wolf. 
Digby Wolf had been in London. Digby Wolf had more to do with laughing maybe than anybody. Uh, he had been in, in England with the Goon Show and with the running, jumping, right. standing, and still. And That's Peter right. Sellers. And Ronnie and Corbett. Was, uh, yeah. huh? And Ronnie Corbett. Yeah, he worked with Ronnie all those Corbett, guys. Ronnie, the two Ronnies. That's right. Ronnie Corbett and Ronnie. And uh, Digby, Digby was an elegant. He played guitar and did English madrigals and opened for the Beatles. So mm-hmm. nobody ever heard his act. Everybody was just screaming, you know. But he was uh, he was a piece of work. And all of the all the he he, he brought the political aspect to Laffin because I didn't really care, you know. Uh, uh, but he brought in the, the political intelligence and the uh, observational comedy and so forth, which balanced the crazy, you know. Didn't and, he, didn't uh, he have a run in in his own country? Didn't he have to leave the country oh, sure. in a hurry? Yeah, bro, you read you read up a lot, didn't you? Yeah, Jeez. I do. I do a little research. Well, you like this guy? Well, you hired a writer that reads. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a new idea. Uh, actually, he uh, he left South Africa in the back of a pickup truck covered with a tarpaulin for taking on the government. And then they came to get him in the middle of the night in Australia. He was a huge star in Australia. Yeah. They came to get him in the middle of the night, and uh, they got him put him on a boat because he attacked the prime minister. But uh, he was funny, boy. He was uh, – he uh, – he and I didn't know what to do for Digby, so the first Christmas I gave him six lessons with Ponzo Segura, and he was fucking thrilled, thrilled. Then I said to Segura, I said uh, he was nice, he was glad to get the lessons, but he said, why would he take lessons from a little old man he could probably beat? And Segura said he said that. I said yeah. So now Segura gives him a lesson. Every ball is like three inches too far out of his reach. <laughs> and the end of the first forty-five minutes, Digby was purple. Uh, 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 he, then he figured out what I'd done to him. Oh, and tell Hilarious. us, you you hung out with the Rat Pack. Yes. Well, tell us about meeting Frank the first time. I mean, you were a young agent. Do we have that right? Yeah. Jeez, you, got, you did more research. You know, i got to be careful. I don't know what else you know. I mean, I have to tell you. <laughs> I know a lot about you, George. You you were an agent at MCA, right, when you met Frank? No, I had been at MCA. What happened was I was in a mailroom at MCA. Uh-huh. And I was delivering mail down the end of the hall to Larry Barnett, who was head of the Van and Act Department. And the whole building came alive because Sinatra had just walked in. And I'm in Larry Barnett's office with this stack of stuff that I was delivering. And I had on a light gay, gray gabardine suit with oxblood shoes and argyle socks and a flowered tie, which was not the dress for MCA. Everybody wore black except me. And uh, Frank came in. What he would do, he would sign a contract once a year. And then he'd leave because, and he never paid commission, but just by representing Frank Sinatra, they sold everything else they had. So he looks at the contracts, and uh, they hand him the contracts, and he looks at the contracts, and he said, did you read these? I said, yeah. He said, are they okay? I said, yeah, yeah. Now, I, I mean, I was 17 years old, and he signed the contracts and handed them to me. And uh, then he said, I've got ties older than this guy. And he left, and everybody in the room thought I must have been a made guy. They thought I was a you know a mustache, a wise guy, because Sinatra gave me the contract. So from then on, we we worked together a lot, and uh, he and Barbara, and uh, he was he was the thrilling part of our lives. And uh, yeah, my my bladder, my kidneys, and my my vital organs would be in better shape if it had not been for him, because uh, he he did love a beverage, and. Uh, we would sit there and just get fried. He never wanted anybody to go to bed. He was, uh, he was, uh, he's a hundred years old now. Yeah, this year we've been trying to get Nancy. We've been trying to get Nancy to do the show. <laughs> You've been trying to get Nancy to do the show. Yeah, because it was Frank's hundredth year. And what did she say? Uh well, we're still chasing her. I I heard that Dean Martin was the oh, only. Anyway, go go to Tina. Tina will give you something better. Yeah. Oh, really? And Frank Jr. will go to a market opening, so uh, call Bob Finkelstein, and he'll get you Frank Jr. or uh, Tina. Uh, Nancy's not real glib, but Nancy, Nancy, yeah, give it a shot. Well, she she was the one that worked with Elvis and had the hit record. We thought maybe she'd have a a little more to talk about, but we'll take your advice. Who worked with Elvis? Uh, Nancy did. Really? Yeah, she's in. She's in. What was it? Speedway. She's in an Elvis movie. The uh, Tina, well, Tina, of course, Gilbert can't, you know, because now that I know he's married, you can't go around Tina, because that'll, you get in trouble with that. You know, <laughs> in your, 
Wait a minute. Don't rush through this one. This is Tina Sinatra. Gilbert, cheer up. Go ahead. You little cocker. So what? (laughs) What do you say about Tina? I do do love him. You know, I could kiss him right in the mouth. Well, when you're in in New York, we'll arrange it, George. What time is it there, for Christ's sake? It's uh, 10 o'clock. But go ahead. He wants to know about Tina now. No, don't go to bed. You'll do something naughty to Mrs. Gilbert before you know she's going to have another comic running around the house. So So go ahead, Gilbert. Don't touch that woman anymore. I think two's enough. Okay, now what are you going to say before you end? Tell us more about Tina. (laughs) She is, she's gorgeous. She is gorgeous. And I call her the Pita. Which stands for P-I-T-I, pain in the ass. And she, she's gorgeous and she's bright as hell and she's a, but she's a handful. Uh, you know, you, you <laughs> she, she is a handful, but she's an adventure. I love her. Well, George. I love the whole family. I love Nancy and, uh, you know, Mrs. Sinatra and Big Nancy. And Frank Jr., Frank Jr. is a trip. He's a very talented young man. We'll, have, we'll ask Frank to, Frank and Tina to do the show. Now, you, you deliver the eulogy at, at, at Sinatra's funeral? George? Yeah. yeah. Where would you get this stuff? It was like uh, Barbara said, would I do a eulogy? And I said, Barbara, that, you know, no. So she said, please. And so I said, as long as I don't have to follow Gregory Peck, right? You guessed it. There goes Gregory Peck. <laughs> she said, we need something funny. I said, what a great idea. This is something funny at Frank's funeral. What a good idea. And so I did a eulogy. And, of course, when I got up there, uh... I looked around, and I was panic-stricken, you know, and, and uh, they had uh, Cardinal McIntyre, right? And I said, to, when I got up on stage, I said, thank you, Your Honor. I didn't know what to call a cardinal. I said, Jolene, who was Catholic, I mean, Your Honor, you don't call a cardinal Your Honor. And uh, but the... Your wife, Jolene. My friends liked it. And uh, so it was, it was funny. I'll send it to you. It was a funny eulogy. Tell us one funny story about Frank that uh, that a lot of people might not know. On stage, it was, it was two, two different relationships. One, when we were working together, it was ice. It was just all business, all one take, boom, go, get, but Then after we were working together, then it all became like a play. You know, he was a child. And uh, we had great times on stage. We had great times backstage. We, had, we did some shows together that were just awesome, right? But then we'd go out to dinner. And we'd go out to dinner, and he would he liked to have a beverage. And uh, so we were sitting there one night, with Irving Lazar and uh, Frank Frank and Irving, did you know who Irving Lazar was? Swifty. Yeah, Swifty, and they got they got into a beef, and Irving was in a wheelchair, and Frank says, "All right, Swifty, we'll settle this. Let's go outside." <laughs> and Lazar said, hey, "Frank, you're probably the only guy I could still beat." Anyhow, so Swifty got in the wheelchair, and he's gone. Now we're sitting there, and we had a white Rolls Royce, and Frank had a white Rolls Royce, and. Uh, so we're there now about 2.15, 2.20, and uh, so we go outside, and the cars were parked one behind the other out in front of uh, La Dolce Vita. And we get in the car, and uh, I'm driving the car, and Barbara's driving the car behind us, and as we're getting ready to go, Frank says to Barbara, push him. Barbara says, Frank, which is push him. And now her Rolls Royce is pushing our Rolls Royce. We're now going through down Santa Monica Boulevard at Wilshire, with white Rolls Royce pushing my white Rolls Royce. And uh, push him. So I said, this is it. Now, I'm in the middle of Santa Monica Boulevard in Wilshire. And I stopped the car, and I said, he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to go back and talk to that drunk. She said, look, it's 2.30 in the morning. There are two white Rolls Royces being driven by two drunks. Somebody's going to go to jail. Now, who do you think that's going to be? So I got back in the car, and then he tried to push me all the way home. But uh, <laughs> little things like that, he got a kick out of me. He was a child. He was uh, he was uh, basically a delightful at times a little boy. He was awesome. Don't fool around. You better know what you're doing. You you better show up ready for ready to play. So, but yeah, I miss him. Yep. You and know? and Sammy, you were close to Sammy too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Sammy, yeah, I was with, yeah. I mean, the stories about Sammy are... I was with Sammy was coming to see me when he drove in from Vegas and got uh, had the eye accidents, you know. And uh, uh, he went into the hospital, and uh, then when, when Sammy made a comeback, he was at zeros, and he's sitting at the corner. He, he, he did a 30-foot knee slide onto the stage, and when he arrived, it was a moment the entire town was waiting for, you know, like, God, Sammy. And when he did this knee slide, he wound up at the corner of the stage, and there was Frank and uh, Jeff Chandler and Dean playing cards. <laughs> he absolutely cracked Sammy up. He didn't pay any attention to him at all. You know. Now, I had great time. I heard when Sammy Davis was in a coma, uh, Jeff Chandler put a Star of David in his hand. Yeah. And Sammy was like clutching it while he was in a coma. And that's like the first thing he saw when he woke up out of the coma, and that's what made him convert to Judaism. Okay. I would tell you that at the time when he came out of the coma, he only had one eye, so I don't know whether I can swear to this story or not, you know? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you, if I only have one eye, you put a star of David in my hand, I'll probably uh, get up out of bed, too. I'll think, my God, what happened? Where's Jesus? You know? <laughs> Okay, but, so let's let's hit upon. But you guys, is this going to is this ever going to air? Yeah, well, in yeah. a couple of weeks, George. Yeah, we'll edit it Let, together. Let's hit it upon that long. Have yeah. you ever worked with Groucho Marx? Yes. Oh, tell us about Groucho. I was doing. You ready for this? I was doing the Bill Cosby series. Hello, hi, Bill. Come on in. We'll have a little pill. And, uh, uh, and I called up Groucho to do the show. I said, Mr. Marks, he said, that's my name. I said, uh, my name is George Slaughter. He said, that's your problem. I said, uh, I'm producing uh, the Bill Cosby show. He said, now you got a real problem. I said, you know who he is? I never heard of him. I said, uh, we would like for you to do the show. He said, uh, uh, he said, I'm not available. How much do you pay? And it was all, that was a conversation with Groucho. Everything was, everything was a joke. And uh, he did the show, and uh, and it was funny. It was, it was his last. It was his last appearance, and uh, he he just ripped Cosby up. He took his cigars. He said, uh, "You know, I've never I've never met a man I didn't like, but in your case, I'll make an exception." And uh, he was just he was a Cosby. I mean, Cosby could not deal with Groucho. Well, nobody could. He was really funny, and he he was like he was Gilbert with a mustache. <laughs> George, real yeah, quick, could, could, we, this, huh? could we ask you about a couple of other people you work with real quick, and then we'll let you go? Yeah, isn't it time you take your wife to dinner? Just stay away from her now. Don't, okay. <laughs> she just wrote on a napkin, by the way, that Sammy Davis once asked out her mother. Did you know that, Gil? That's good. <laughs> he asked out Dana's mother? Dara. Dara's mother. Yeah. And how'd it go? How did it go? She was underage. She was underage. Oh, she was underage. <laughs> okay. Well, tell, tell us about... Tell us about Paul Newman. He was just, he was a lovely, beautiful man. And I did a thing one night for Paul Newman and Frank Sinatra. did a, an event in my honor where we raised money for the, the Scott Newman Foundation and for the Sinatra Hospital in Palm Springs, which Frank built with Barbara for the uh, place for sexually abused children. Glad Cosby never heard about that. And, uh, uh, <laughs> okay, Jolene, I'll be right there. Two minutes. Two minutes. Uh, we heard that. Oh, okay. I, I gotta go. I'm late. Okay. I'll play you next time. Gilbert? Yeah, well, tell us the Borga story next time. time. Anyhow, I gotta go. George, thanks for doing this. Okay, send me a tape of this, will you? I really want to know it because, I mean, I want to have to remember what I said because some of it was true. <laughs> All right. Okay. So this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre and uh, the guy who I I did a eulogy for, uh, George Slaughter, the great George Slaughter. George, I'm gonna tape this. I'm gonna send it to my lawyers. We will, buddy. Thank you, and come see us when you're in New York. Okay. We'll do. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.